Hello and welcome to Do Yourself No Harm, the brand new podcast for medics with me, Dr. Claire Ashley. Join me as I talk about all things to do with medical careers and mental well-being. I hope that you enjoy this episode and if you do, please hit like and subscribe. Now, in addition to this podcast, I have also just launched a brand new subscription and membership for medics. More information about that can be found over on my website, www.doyourselfnoharm.com. Let's move on to talking about what's going to be happening in this episode. And in this episode, I'm going to be going through all of the lessons that I've learned through my burnout journey, and I hope that you enjoy it. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Claire Ashley here. And for my very first ever podcast episode, I'm going to be talking today about the lessons that I've learned through my burnout journey. Now, I've learned an awful lot over the past few years whilst I've gone through my burnout journey. I initially burnt out as a newly qualified GP with the process starting in 2019. And during that journey and that the recovery process, I have learned an awful lot about what burnout is, what it means, how to recover. And I've also learned, uh, amongst other things, how genuinely lonely and isolating it feels to go through that process. So the aim of today's podcast is to share some of the things that I've learned in the hope that Perhaps some of you might listen to this and recognize some of the symptoms in yourself and be able to do something about it. Or equally, some of you guys might be listening to this and it might prevent you from slipping into burnout in the future. So if any of those things are achieved, then my work here is done. So let's dive right in to the first thing that I've learned about burnout, which is what burnout is. Now, I realize this sounds like a really strange thing to say, but honestly, when I when the process started, when I started to slide into burnout, I literally had no idea what was happening to me. I didn't know that there was a name for it. I didn't know that it was a thing. And actually, as the burnout process started, I didn't recognize what was happening to myself either until it was too late and I reached a crisis point. So it was only during my recovery journey when I looked back with hindsight And I did a bit of reading around the subject and I was told this is burnout, that I suddenly realized that what I was experiencing had a name, it had a definition and that there wasn't something horribly wrong with me, which up until that point, I had assumed that everything was down to myself, was down to my own shortcomings, my own failings. I didn't realize that it wasn't my fault. The WHO definition of burnout states that burnout is an occupational phenomenon which occurs after a period of intense and prolonged workplace stress. And it comprises of three components. These components are number one, depersonalization. So that's the depletion of caring, empathy, and compassion. Two, emotional exhaustion. So the fatigue of caring for too much for too long. And three, a decreased sense of accomplishment and reduced professional efficacy. Quite often the the decreased sense of accomplishment comes along with a sense of futility and feeling that nothing you do makes any difference. So that's the official definition of burnout. But what does it actually feel like? What does it look like to experience? So for myself, as I've already described it, I had a slow and insidious onset of my symptoms and I had no insight into what was happening until it was too late to prevent it. And I just want to talk a little bit about what it looked like from the outside. So I was very grumpy. I was very irritable. I had no patience with my family. I was relentlessly negative. I was snapping at my husband. I was snapping at my children. I moaned a lot. I started to bring my work home with me, not physically. I didn't physically bring it home with me, but I was unable to switch off from any of the decisions that I made at work. And I came home and worried about the decisions that I was making as well. 
I was completely unable to relax or enjoy spending time relaxing. I was very withdrawn from my social circle and my family. I started to work longer hours at work to try to compensate for my perceived shortcomings and my perceived failings. I started taking on more and I really started to struggle with my workload. So that's what it looked like from the outside to my friends, my family, my colleagues. What it felt like on the inside was just horrendous. I'm going to talk a little bit about the physical symptoms and then also the mood and the emotional symptoms. And the reason why I want to differentiate between the two is because the physical symptoms formed a huge part of my burnout. So the one of the biggest symptoms was absolutely extreme and disproportionate fatigue. Regardless of how well I slept, I felt absolutely physically drained. I did also suffer with very poor and disturbed sleep, which didn't help the fatigue, but the fatigue was very out of proportion to how much sleep I was getting. I had daily headaches. I had the constant sensation of being choked. So I had this, what I can describe as a pressure sensation on the front of my neck the whole time. And I also had palpitations. And at the height of my burnout, the moment when I realized that I was in a crisis was when I started to develop panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And previously, I had never experienced any of these symptoms. So that was the cue to me that things had got out of control, that I needed help. So I had lots of physical symptoms. Let's move on to talk about some of the mood and the emotional symptoms that I was experiencing as well. And the only way I can describe what was happening in my head was I was an absolute mess. I developed completely overwhelming and all-consuming anxiety. I worried constantly. I had a lot of intrusive thoughts. So intrusive thoughts are thoughts that pop into your head that you cannot control, that might be out of context, but they are very distressing. So for instance, I might be walking along the road and see a lorry coming towards me and I'd have a vision of my children falling beneath the wheels of the lorry. It's that sort of thing. I couldn't control those thoughts. I couldn't do anything with them. And they were they were coming up in every context and every situation. I both cared too much and didn't care enough. Um, I remember being at work at the height of it all and sitting in front of my computer screen, looking at the 50 patients that I was expected to see that day. And on the one hand, feeling completely numb and completely empty and just completely devoid of any hope or any kind of motivation to get on with my work, but equally feeling so on edge that I just wanted to scream or burst into tears or run from the building. I had absolutely no enjoyment in my work, in my personal life, in my family life. I was completely unmotivated. The reduced professional efficacy for me presented itself as decision fatigue, slower thinking and poor cognition. So I really struggled to make clinical decisions with my patients, whereas previously I would have been really on the money and make very, very sharp, snappy decisions as a GP, you have to, right? So for me, that's where it the, the reduced professional efficacy comes in. And as a result, I ended up working very, very long days and being very slow with my work, whereas previously I would have been on top of my workload. I also completely lost confidence in myself in both my personal and my professional life, was desperately unhappy. I think the word desperate pretty much does sum up how I felt, actually, overall. And I also had a lot of rumination. So rumination is just going over and over the same distressing thoughts in your head, the same worries over and over, but not actually coming to any sort of satisfying conclusion. Now, this all started as a newly qualified GP. 
and the decline was gradual. It took about six months to develop into full-blown burnout. But at the end of it, I didn't recognize who I was or what I'd become. I hadn't had a mental health problem up until that point. I'd sailed through medical school. I'd gone through a bit of anesthetic training, which I wasn't 100% happy with. And I'd made the correct decision to leave that training program and to go into general practice. But that didn't affect my mental health in the same way that this did. And I felt horrendous. I, I, I felt so guilty and very troubled by what had happened to me. And initially it began as something that was related and reacted to my work, but ultimately it became pervasive and affected all aspects of my life. And alongside these symptoms, I also gradually stopped looking after myself. So I wasn't eating properly. I wasn't really exercising prior to my burnout. I would have been very motivated to exercise regularly. I've, I've always been active. I've always enjoyed doing sport and would dedicate time to doing that but during the burnout that kind of stopped so I was missing the endorphins that that used to have given me however I was very lucky in that I didn't have any suicidal thoughts during this time period and when I did go to you know my partners at work and said I was struggling they told me that from their perspective they didn't feel that my work was suffering and that I was still working to a good standard so even though I I had kind of very, very clouded and slow and murky thinking that hadn't actually yet translated into poor patient care, which for me felt good at the time and was a reassurance, actually. Now, going back to the definition of burnout, I definitely had the three components of burnout. I 100% had depletion of empathy, caring, compassion. I was utterly exhausted and I wasn't performing well at work. And it had occurred after a period of intense and prolonged workplace stress. Now, for other people, the symptoms of burnout might be different. And certainly for myself, I had very severe anxiety and depression at the same time as being burnt out. And there is often a crossover between mental health problems and burnout. But burnout itself is not categorised as a mental health problem. So we've covered the definition of burnout, what it means and what it feels like to experience it. And like I said, when this was happening to me, I had no idea what burnout was, the definition of it and what it meant. Moving on now to the next thing that I've learned about burnout, which is what the causes are. Now, if you go back to that WHO definition, you will understand that you cannot burn out without that period of prolonged and intense workplace stress. So regardless of your own individual risk factors for burnout or your own internal predisposition, it won't happen. It cannot develop without that stress at work. And therefore, we cannot talk about burnout without recognising that currently within the NHS and within healthcare, that we are working in a very pressurised system. And the results of this are tangible. If you look at the BMA surveys on doctor wellbeing last year, at one point, up to two thirds of doctors reported symptoms of a stress, anxiety, depression, burnout and PTSD as a direct result of the pressure that they're under at work. The NHS staff survey of 2021, which surveyed nearly 600,000 staff, showed that 44% reported feeling unwell because of stress at work. So we know that huge numbers are struggling in the NHS with their mental health at the moment as a direct result of the pressures that we're under. There are lots of things at work that put us at risk for burning out. We have a lot of issues with resource, for instance. For years, the NHS has been underfunded and understaffed. 
We went into COVID short of 50,000 doctors in England alone when we compare our staffing levels with EU averages. So before the pandemic even hit, we were struggling for staff. And then with COVID, we have experienced huge challenges in healthcare. For those of you in hospital, you might have been redeployed or put onto a surge rotor. Your working patterns will have changed overnight without any notice or any choice. Now, most of us were very happy to do this as we wanted to do the right thing and we did what needed to be done. But unfortunately, that comes with a fallout of a negative impact on our mental health. If you work in hospital, you are likely to have witnessed large numbers of very poorly patients being admitted, suffering and dying without their loved ones owing to visiting restrictions and that's incredibly stressful and traumatic. Now for those of us working in the community we have also had to change how we were working overnight. So in general practice for instance we went from having fully booked face-to-face -face clinics and rammed waiting rooms to having to triage and manage patients remotely in order to keep both patients and staff safe. And we've seen a huge increase up in the numbers of appointment requests. Patient need is off the scale now. And in general practice, certainly we're now offering more patients appointments than ever before, and yet it's still not enough. We also have a more complex aging population. Our patients generally have more needs now than a few years ago, I would say. We have huge intensity of the workload. We work long hours. We're perhaps not supported as in teams as we used to be. We also have to bear in mind the toxic working culture of medicine, where we have a huge emphasis on presenteeism. So that's turning up to work regardless of whether or not you're fit to do so from a physical or a mental health point of view. There is still very much a stigma of mental health problems amongst the medical community. Uh, we also carry a huge amount of guilt and fear of letting down our colleagues. Working for the NHS at the moment is incredibly pressurised, regardless of what role you do within it and where you work. However, you could take a group of doctors and you know, subject them to the same pressures at work, but some of them will not burn out. And that's because as individuals, we also carry internal factors that put us at risk of burning out. So for instance, our personality traits can potentially predispose us to burning out as well. So the things that are associated with burnout are perfectionism, being high achievers, being people pleasers, and in particular, imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome is where despite the fact that you are a high achieving individual, you have a fear that you are a fraud and that everyone else will find out that you're a fraud. So people who have imposter syndrome, there is objective evidence to the contrary. However, that person internally doesn't believe that they are worthy of their success. The trouble with imposter syndrome is that it is directly linked to burnout and it is a risk factor for burnout. There are also likely to have been things that happened in your childhood that will predispose you to developing burnout as an adult. Talking about things like your family setup, your family environment. Were you perhaps given mixed messages about achievement? Were you unconditionally loved? These sorts of things, if you experience them as a child, might well then predispose you to burnout as an adult. However, despite the fact that you might have these personality traits or individual internal risk factors for 
being susceptible to burnout, it does not mean that you are responsible for your burnout. And this is a huge bugbear of mine, right? This is a hill that I am absolutely prepared to die on because one of the things that makes me so angry working in the NHS at the moment is that quite often when doctors start to burn out or other healthcare professionals, we are told that it is our responsibility to correct the problems that we are facing. So one of the things that really frustrates me is the concept of resilience and resilience training. Because quite often in the NHS now, if you are struggling, you get told that it's your responsibility to look after yourself and that you and you alone are responsible for looking after your mental health and well-being. And if you're not coping, that is your fault and your responsibility. And this absolutely does my head in and this is a hill that I am prepared to die on. You do not burn out without chronic workplace stress. So regardless of what your internal, your individual risk factors are, or your coping strategies, without that workplace stress, you wouldn't have burnt out. And whilst there are things that as individuals we can work on to help us recover from burnout and to help prevent it from happening in the first place, ultimately you can't talk about burnout without contextualizing it in the absolute overwhelming pressure cooker that is the NHS at the moment. You know, medics as a whole are an incredibly resilient bunch of professionals. We're committed, we're motivated, we care about our patients, we work incredibly hard to get to where we are. Our jobs are tough and we know that going into it. By the nature of the the fact of the job that we do, we are resilient. And so it really upsets me when we get told collectively as medics that we're not resilient enough and it's our fault. Your burnout is not your fault. So we know that burnout causes changes in the brains of people who have burnout, similar to those people who have post-traumatic stress disorder. We also know that burnout affects the neuroendocrine axis and can have a role in both upregulating and downregulating stress hormones. So the, the effects of burnout are tangible and they are quantifiable. They are seen on MRI scan. Your brain changes structure and function when you go through burnout. That is not your fault or your responsibility. That is the, that is the consequence of going through a period of chronic and overwhelming stress. It's not because you haven't done a yoga. It's not because you haven't tried to get enough sleep. Those things help absolutely and will help protect your mental health and well-being in the long run. They might form part of your recovery process, but doing those things isn't enough if your brain is structurally changing because of the stress that you're under. So like I said, this is something, as you can tell, that I get very passionate and worked up about. If you burn out, it is not your fault. However, working on your risk factors and the things that have predisposed you will probably form part of your recovery process. So moving on now to the next lesson that I've learned about burnout, which is that prevention is better than cure. Recovery from burnout is complex. It needs to be multifaceted and it takes time. So we know from studies of people who go through burnout recovery that on average, it takes one to three years to recover from burnout fully. And so recovering from burnout is like anything in medicine. So as medics, we know that if you treat, let's say a physical health problem, in the early stages that it will be easier to treat, you're less likely to need lots of medication, you're less likely to need complex interventions. And 
feel more likely to recover or to be able to maintain good health for a longer period. The same is true with for burnout. And obviously with a recovery period of one to three years, that has huge implications, both for the individual, but also for service provision in the NHS, because quite often you do need time off to be able to start your recovery from burnout. And that has implications in a system that already has not enough staff to provide safe care for the patients that it looks after. And so it is absolutely essential that you learn to recognize when you're stressed and what helps you to manage it. My advice to you is that you prioritize your needs and learn to look after yourself at work and at home and learn to recognize the signs of stress in yourself before it progresses to burnout. It's really important that regardless of whether or not you're at work or at home, that you ensure that you are meeting your basic physical needs. That's making sure that you are eating well, hydrating, taking your breaks, make sure that you take part in activities that fill your cup. So whatever it is for you that you enjoy, that you prioritize that. It's also important that you do things that are based in scientific evidence to help improve your mood. So making sure that you're getting physical activity on a daily basis, getting outside, spending time in the sunshine, spending time in nature, practicing mindfulness and meditation, prioritizing your sleep, practicing gratitude, having social connections, and spending time with your friends and family. We know that all these things will help you to manage your stress levels. So we've talked a little bit there about how prevention is better than cure and how it's really important that you recognize when you're not feeling yourself and when your stress is becoming a bit of a problem. We're gonna move on to the next lesson. And the next thing that I've learned about burnout, which is that recovery is hard, it is complex, needs to be multifaceted and it is nuanced. Burnout recovery, first of all, takes a huge amount of time, so one to three years on average. It's really important that if you recognize the signs of burnout in yourself, that you seek help and take time off. Speak to the expert, speak to your GP, speak to your university if you're a student, speak to your trust wellbeing service or occupational health department. Speak to NHS Practitioner Health. They are the organization that I went through with my burnout and they did an absolutely fantastic job. There are lots of other services that are available and I will link at the end of the podcast to some of the other charities and services that are available for NHS staff. There will probably be a role for some sort of talking therapy in your recovery, plus or minus medication, depending on whether or not you have any other concurrent mental health problems alongside your burnout and also how severe they are. So potentially if you have severe anxiety or depression, medication to help manage those conditions might also help in your burnout recovery. It's also really important that you think about taking some time off sick. I didn't do this and I really regret it. There are various reasons as to why I didn't feel that I was able to take sick leave, but actually in retrospect, I think removing myself from the job that was burning me out would have been the right thing to do. And it might possibly have meant that my recovery hasn't been as drawn out and as complex as it has been. So don't make the mistake that I made If you are burnt out, please make sure that you take some time off to start that recovery process. And then in terms of what the evidence says about burnout management, there's a really interesting study that looked at people who were off sick with burnout. This was not done in medics, by the way, but what it found was that at two years after the burnout started, the only thing that made a difference as to whether or not these people were back at work was whether or not they had a sense of autonomy at work and control. So this is really interesting because in the NHS at the moment, it's really hard to get any sense of agency or autonomy at all. 
And so it's really important that we think about the system and the problems that are in the system. We really need the system to change to improve our workload and well-being at work. However, at the moment, this is very challenging. And unfortunately, you cannot expect to go back to the same ways of working and expect things to be different. If you go back to work without making those changes, without having without having some sort of autonomy, control over your workload and how you work, the burnout will just reoccur. And this is probably the hardest thing to do well in the NHS. It's really important that you learn to be boundaried, learn to say no, work on your confidence and be assertive about your needs at work. These are absolutely essential skills to keep you mentally well during your career. It's essential that you get peer and supervisor support. But if these things are not happening and if you don't feel that you have that control, then it might be that you need to think about reducing your exposure to the stresses that have burnt you out. So that would be thinking about less than full-time working. That would be portfolio career working. It might be time out of medicine. It might be leaving medicine. And actually for myself, that is ultimately what I did was I left the job that burnt me out and I developed a portfolio career so that I could create a sustainable and a fulfilling career that brought me joy. Um, And I don't regret my decisions one bit. And if you're not sure about what to do about your career, burnout can be an incredibly lonely and isolating place, is I would really strongly recommend that you think about getting career guidance or mentoring, because it's okay to change your mind about your career in medicine. You have permission to want something different or more than what you have. I actually have another podcast episode coming up in the near future with a career coach. So do keep your eyes peeled for that episode, because I think that's going to be really helpful for those of you that are unsure about what to do next in your careers as a result of the stress that we're all under at the moment. The other evidence-based things that are proven to help with burnout and resilience are socialising with your peers and time. The things that don't work are any intervention that focuses on the individual in isolation. So any sort of mindfulness, self-care, meditation, whilst those things are an essential part of stress management alone, it won't get you out of burnout. So for me, the key things were leaving the job that burnt me out, time. I should have taken some time off work. I didn't because I felt guilty about landing my colleagues in it. And I wish I hadn't made that decision. And also working on myself from a personal and a professional point of view, creating a portfolio career, working out what my values are and how I can work to fulfill those values and try to get some joy back from my career. I've, I couldn't have done it without the help of practitioner health. I had an extremely good experience with practitioner health. And so if any of you are going through burnout, please, please do not go through it alone. Get professional help, get external help. You can't do this alone. It's really important that you get that support because I I absolutely couldn't have done it without getting help. I also had a lot of help from my husband. um, And for that, I'm very grateful too. And finally, I just want to talk about how lonely and isolating it is to go through burnout. When I went through this, I honestly felt like I was the only doctor in the world to be going through it. I felt that I was a failure as a doctor. I felt that I had let down myself, that I'd let down my patients, that I'd let down my colleagues. And it was just a really desperate place to be. However, having been through it, I now recognise that actually I wasn't alone. And a lot of us are feeling like this at the moment. A lot of us are struggling. I want to help break down that stigma that is associated with mental health problems in doctors. I want people to know it's not your fault. And I want people to know that you can get better and better days are coming.
I'm incredibly vocal about my burnout experience and the recovery process over on my Instagram, which is at Dr. Claire Ashley. I have a really lovely community now of followers. And that is one of the things that has really helped to sustain me through my recovery. Now, I'm very careful not to use social media as a form of therapy or support, but it's been so nice to have found a community of like-minded medics to help me through that process. And so I would say the same to anyone else that is going through this, get support, get it from a formal setting such as your GP or practitioner health, but talk to your colleagues, talk to your peers, talk to your friends, talk to your family, because it's burnout is such a lonely and isolating place but sharing that experience will make it easier and it does get better so thank you so much for joining me on my first ever podcast episode this has been a whistle-stop tour of everything that I've learned about my burnout what it is its definition what it feels like why it's not your fault why prevention is better than cure why recovery is so hard and complex and why it's such a lonely place I really hope that in sharing my experiences that I've helped some of you. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please hit like and subscribe. And I would be ever so grateful if you could do a review as well. Thank you all so much for joining me on this, my first ever podcast episode. I hope that it has been really helpful and I hope to see as many of you as possible for my next episode, which will be released next Sunday at eight o'clock. Take care and have a great week.